Your mother always told you to say no to peer pressure. So when you hear how 4 million drivers switched to GEICO last year, you aren't swayed. Then again, those 4 million drivers probably saved hundreds by switching to the nation's third largest car insurance company. Maybe your mother was wrong. Maybe you could have joined that hippie commune in Montana. Or maybe you could save money by switching to GEICO today. For a free rate quote, visit GEICO.com or call 1-800-947-AUTO. 15 minutes could save you hundreds on car insurance. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Dream Reality New Earth Radio, reminding you that the choice is yours. I'm Dr. Dream with my co-host Ilya Nabatovsky, and now on with the show. Welcome to Dream Reality New Earth Radio. What an exciting broadcast we have for you this evening. This is Dr. Dream and my co-host, Ilya Nabutovsky. Now, we have, um, we've sort of done a bit of a juxtaposition this week, haven't we, Ilya? Absolutely. Um, it's just been an amazing and extraordinary and very uh, unusual uh, couple of days here. And, um, yeah, I mean, I'm really excited about this. I, I love it. And and I'm here at the Dream Studio in sunny Southern California, and you're not. No, I am actually on the other side of the country in New York City. <laughs> I love it. And it it is it's actually the very first time that um we we were so far apart um while doing this radio show so it's a first in many different ways tonight. I absolutely love it. And um we've we've just come off of a very exciting weekend um for quite a few people here in Southern California. We had lightning in a bottle. Right, and I wasn't actually at the festival, but I have heard incredible testimonies, and uh, you have uh, done an amazing uh, job with the uh, Galactivation experience, um, as I hear, Um, and how many people were actually in attendance um, at that Galactivation at the festival? Well, you know, you weren't there, and we were definitely feeling that we were short one Key Angel, um, and uh, so we didn't actually we didn't actually count um, the numbers, but we've we've had estimates. We were all caught up, um, you know, in the moment, but uh, somewhere between two and four hundred. I would estimate that it was closer to three hundred. Wow, and that's the biggest uh, galactivation that we've ever done, is it not? Not only was it the biggest galactivation that we've done, it was 
possibly near the shortest. The um, we were on uh, lightning in a bottle time, and um, they actually gave me the five minute hand signal when we were about twenty five minutes into it. But um, being Doctor Dream and living my dream, and my dream was definitely to do more than thirty minutes and get as close as I could to the hour. We did it in about forty minutes, and um, it was it was outstanding, absolutely outstanding. That's beautiful, and every time that I am participating or assisting in this experience, um, I feel that it absolutely shifts everything uh, within me, and so I can only imagine how many people's lives have been changed uh, through your amazing words and through the amazing energy of uh, yourself as well as the Band of Angels, and so um, I'm very honored and uh very much appreciative of all of the work that you do. Well, it was an amazing experience, and you were very much dearly missed. Um, but um, it's nice that we've now got a foothold um, on the East Coast, uh, you know, sort of an energetic anchor there in New York City. And um, I've been no offense to any uh, listeners from New York City, but I think uh, it was about time that we we had an energetic anchor there. Yes, and I am also uh, very pleased to be here um, with my family. Uh, I actually uh, was celebrating my mom's birthday yesterday, and so it was a very, very nice and bonding experience uh, with my family here. So I feel very, very much at home and very peaceful here, so... Yeah, I feel like I'm going to be uh, enjoying myself quite a lot here. Time to uh, get us booked in New York City and bring uh, legal activation um, out to the East Coast again. That's right. Can't wait. I love it. So, you know, being at Lightning in a Bottle this weekend, uh, it was um, really ties in to our broadcast this evening because right. it. It was just one year ago that I had the pleasure of meeting tonight's guest. Um, we did a Galactivation one year ago at Lightning in a Bottle, and uh, Daryl came on and channeled Bashar right after us, right before the closing ceremonies. And um, this was the first time that I had uh, experienced uh, Daryl and, and Bashar live, and um, I, I, I'd have to say that um, that evening my or that afternoon my, my world was uh, most definitely rocked. And so one year later, to be here at uh, Dream Reality New Earth Radio and to have as our guest... Uh, Daryl Anka, who is the uh, who who channels Bashar, is uh, an an absolute treat and uh, and joy for us. And so, uh, Daryl, welcome uh, welcome to the broadcast. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you very much for the kind invitation. <laughs> Thank you. Now, I have to say, I've been uh, I've, I've been following you. For for the last year now, and I had I had heard about um, you prior to that. Um, you have you have quite a history. Uh, the more I've um, spent time, uh, you know, researching um, your your past and 
and what what's gotten you to this point now you haven't always been um a, a trance channel you've you've actually got this entire life and uh you know been involved in a lot of well-known uh projects yeah my my other life is in the movie industry i was in special effects miniatures and design and storyboards for quite some time and within the last couple of years I've transitioned over into writing, producing and directing. I've just actually finished my first film as a writer, director, producer, which I'm I'm editing now. Um but as a special effects technician, yes, I've worked on several movies, uh Iron Man, several Star Trek movies, uh Flags of Our Fathers and and many others. Um so that is that is my my other life aside from the channeling. But I've been doing the channeling now, uh, coming up on 28 years. So nothing, nothing new here with the channeling. Tell us how how does someone go from, um, you know, not channeling and and from what I understand, not being very familiar with all of those realms. Um, how does someone find themselves uh, as a as a trance channel? Well, um, different channels begin in a variety of different ways. My particular beginning was uh, actually started by an event that happened uh, now about almost 38 years ago on two different occasions um, here in Los Angeles where I live. I had two broad daylight sightings of a UFO uh, very close <clears throat> with witnesses both times. The first time about 150 feet away, the second time only about 70 feet away. Both times uh, the ship was a black equilateral triangle about, I'd say, 20 feet or so on a side. And after I saw something that solid, I mean, I'd always heard, of course, about UFOs, but once I'd seen something like that, that that <clears throat> moved unlike anything I'd ever seen without making any noise whatsoever, um, I began doing a lot of investigation. I wanted to know more about what was going on with all that. And as I began to read books on UFOs, back then there weren't uh, uh, you know, there were not metaphysical sections in bookstores. Everything that was lumped into, you know, the occult or metaphysics was sort of all on one bookshelf at that point. So by going down the list of available UFO books, I also ran into other books on psychic functioning and ESP and channeling and so on and so forth. And, and the ones that uh, stood out at that point, what I guess most people consider to be sort of the beginning of the modern channeling era were the Seth books by Jane Roberts. I became somewhat familiar with, with that material. <clears throat> and as I continued my investigations into all things paranormal, uh, just again mostly out of research and curiosity, ten years after the sighting, I was introduced to a channel who actually was conducting um, lectures at that time. And after I listened to the information coming through that channel for a while from the entity that they channeled, uh, the entity actually offered to teach a channeling class. And I 
went into the class not so much because I thought I wanted to be a channel. I just wanted to further my research and understand how something like that could actually be taught because I just thought it was something that just happened to you. Um, but during the class, <clears throat> under the guided meditations we were given, which was mostly just to get you to connect to whatever creative source you wanted to connect to, be it part of your own consciousness or what have you. Uh, but in those guided meditations, about halfway through the course, I received what I perceived to be a telepathic contact from Bashar and his people. And in that moment, a memory actually came back of having made an agreement before this life to do this channeling with them. And I understood in that moment that the UFO had been shown to me by them on purpose to get me to start investigating, to get me to start learning, so that by the time it came time to start the channeling, I would be properly prepared. That's how it began for me, basically. Now, this is this is pretty intense. Did any of this catch you off guard, or were you oh, really... Did, go ahead. No, completely. Uh, I mean, when I first... <clears throat> When I first received the, the telepathic connection in the meditative state in the class, I mean, I thought, you know, am I hallucinating? Is this a side effect of the meditation? I didn't know what to think. Uh, I didn't know if it was just a portion of my own imagination or what. But I found out later on that other people in the class were picking up on similar things that I was picking up on but had not said anything about. And... and in fact, one I was actually sensing a being without seeing anything, but another person in the class at the same time I was sensing it was actually seeing something and drawing it. So I had a lot of validation that something was going on. And what it really came down to for me, though, is at that point in my research, I understood that channeled material is really the point, is, is the material itself that channeling is a natural state that we all have, we all have the ability to do, and we all do from time to time. When when a person is sort of doing what they love to do, they're not really focused on the passage of time, when they're completely immersed in something that deeply, that's a channeling state. When an actor becomes the character, when a singer is lost in the song, that's a channeling state. Now, what we connect to in that state can be many things. Like I said, it can be our own consciousness. It can be other levels of consciousness. It can be other dimensions of reality, other beings. The point really, though, for me and what I, what I learned is that it doesn't really much matter whether anyone really believes that it's another being or not because I have no way of proving that Bashar is real. What matters is that in that altered state, we appear to have the ability to access higher perspectives, higher levels of information, more connectivity in our brains, and are able to bring about information and perspectives through us that we might not ordinarily in our day-to-day -day lives be capable of thinking about or perceiving. So it's a state that allows us to have a much bigger picture, to share uh, much more interesting, much more widespread perspectives, and information that can actually change people's lives in positive and constructive ways. That's really why I continued to do the channeling from that day forward, because I realized the information could be of help regardless of where it was coming from. Now, there's there's no doubt that um, you have touched a lot, you and Bashar, I'll just consider that the grand you, um, <laughs> have touched a lot of lives, um, 
I have a number of friends who, uh, you know, are are really strong followers of Bashar and and your different offerings, but and and over 28 years. And what did I read today? It's uh, well over 300,000 books have been sold. And where was that? Just in Japan alone? Uh, you know, I, I it's quite possible. I really don't know. Um, it, it, it definitely could easily be that high over time. Um, uh, there are actually, I think, more than 12 books in Japan that have been published of the of the various seminars that uh, I was brought over to Japan to uh, to do. Um, and so it, it could easily be that much or more. I, I am really actually not sure. I haven't kept track of what the the total count is. But um, but I'm always very 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 humbled by the amount of people that that do seem to respond to the information in a positive way that have come up to me in the cities and countries that I've gone to to do the channelings and said what a difference the information has made in their lives and that's really the biggest reward for me is is just hearing that it actually makes a difference that it's had a positive impact in so many people's lives and it's it's very very gratifying now let me ask you did you you know so 28 years ago this all happens as you're you're learning the process did you come right out and just start doing Bashar events right away i mean what was what was the first five or was, ten years uh, like of, of well, this? Well, it was very organic. Actually, it, it happened very quickly over the over the path of the first year or so. It happened very rapidly, uh, just automatically, uh, in a very organic way. Um, when I finished the class, I had made a sufficient amount of progress in my channeling that the teacher <clears throat> teaching the class asked me to co-channel the next class with him. So I immediately got more practice on a, on a weekly basis. At the same time, um, a woman was doing one of the first doctoral thesis papers on the connection between psychology and channeling, and she needed some subjects to study. And she picked several different channels for her paper, uh, of which I was one. And she invited us over, basically, uh, to her house, one at a time, on different nights, and we would channel for the friends that she invited over. And she would sit there, and as we channeled, she would make her notes, write her paper. And the first night was like, you know, she had five friends in the room. And then the second week it would be ten friends, because they would tell their friends. And the third week it would be 15, and the fourth week it would be 20. And it just grew and grew and grew on a weekly basis until we had to start doing it two nights a week, and then we had to start doing it in two houses a week, and then we had to start renting auditoriums to be able to handle the amount of people that simply wanted to show up and listen to a channeling. And literally from the tapes that were created in those initial channelings in people's homes, people started uh, sharing the tapes and people in other cities and other countries started hearing about it. And I started getting invited to come and channel to those other cities and other countries. And it just took off like that very, very organically. Fascinating. Now, give us give us the overview of Bashar. Uh, describe who this. Yeah, Bashar is a little bit different as far as a lot of channeled entities go. In that, my understanding, at least of most 
channeled entities that I've been become aware of in the literature is that most of them seem to be what are you know classically considered to be disembodied entities, whether they be non-physical consciousness that exists in another dimensional plane or whether they be someone who uh, uh, lived on Earth and is now, you know, a spirit uh, that has died, you know, and gone on to the spirit world. Of that nature, in general, is what most channeled entities seem to be. Bashar is different than that; he actually is a physical extraterrestrial being, as he's described himself, and that what's happening between us is an actual telepathic contact. So, in other words, what I've been trained to do is alter my brain waves to go into the necessary state and to receive his brain waves. He alters his. Somewhere in the middle, our brain waves meet and lock and synchronize. And what happens is he's not speaking, he's just sending thoughts. And because my brain waves are now attuned to his frequency, you get a translation of his thoughts through my body, through my brain which is programmed to speak in English. So I'm acting, in a sense, like a biological translation device for his thoughts. And I've actually heard Bashar come through. From time to time, he's he's actually come through a few other people to help them get started with their own channelings. One in particular was a woman in Japan who still does not channel Bashar now, but she still teaches metaphysical seminars. Um, but... It was a very strange, very surreal experience for me because even though it was coming through a woman and even though it was coming through her in Japanese, the personality was distinctly Bashar's because once I go into the altered state, my body does take on, in a sense, the attributes of his attitudes, his energies, his emotions, his personality. So the personality is quite a bit different. It does shift quite a bit as I allow him to, in a sense, speak through me. But to me, it's like tuning forks. It's it's kind of a physics issue where if you have two tuning forks that are tuned to the same frequency and you start one vibrating, well, the waves from one will automatically start the other one vibrating without you having touched it. So it's kind of like that idea of, of resonance, harmonic resonance that I think happens telepathically between us. He's described his civilization as as being physical, something that that you know we could visit if we went to their particular system. But he's in a different dimensional plane. We'd have to actually shift into a parallel reality uh, in order to get to his particular universal reality. Um, but he's described uh, his civilization as being uh, what now people classically sort of refer to as a hybrid species. Um, they're they're humanoid because their genetic material, um, uh, some of their genetic material actually does come from us, um, and they are in a sense almost like descendants of ours, but mixed with another species classically referred to as the Greys. He's described their civilization in general as, on average, about five feet in height. Their skin is white, whitish gray. He said their world is similar to ours, a little bit smaller, more oxygen, more water, uh, very park-like, <clears throat> and in a solar system in their dimension, that would be, if we overlap their reality with our reality, he said, would be about 500 light years in the direction of the Orion constellation. So basically, he said that they are connected to us in a variety of ways. They're, they consider us an extension of their family. And basically, they're here to connect with us and um, answer our invitation 
to explore and expand our consciousness and uh, hopefully climb the ladder together. Hmm. Thank you. Um, Wendy uh, from our chat room is actually uh, asking, uh, why do certain entities come to certain people? That's a very good question, and I certainly don't know all the reasons why that might occur, but one of the ones that seems to be common and the one that I know is true for me is that Bashar has said, has explained that he's actually, to put it in classical linear terms, he's actually my future self. So it's almost like I'm one of his past lives, he's one of my future lives. In that essence, we're actually aspects of the same oversoul. I think that's actually probably somewhat true of any being that is channeled, is that they are somehow connected on a soul level or a spiritual level to the person that's channeling them. They might actually be the same being in two different frames of reference. I see. Wow. Um, we we actually uh, have another question um, from Patrick, uh, who asks, uh, when you alter your brain waves, um, do you know what kind of frequencies uh, show up more on an EEG? I've had my brain waves measured when I was channeling by some scientists at one point. Now, I can't give you an exact frequency, but I know what they said was two things in particular. It's not technically a trance state. It's a state of heightened activity as if there is more connections being made than normal, almost like a switchboard. The other thing they said is all the distinct levels of brain frequency were were still there in other words you know you have the the delta levels and the <clears throat> you know the alpha brain waves all that they were all there but they were each much higher so it was i guess like whatever the normal levels are they said were up by you know maybe another 5 to 10 points in each of those frequency levels somehow it was like the whole thing had been shifted up another notch even though they still remained relatively different from each other. Um, I can't give you an exact frequency count, but I do know that it went up by several points. I have a, a question here. Just um, So does it ever happen that you connect um, with Bashar, like when you're brushing your teeth or cooking or, <laughs> I mean, something outside of you well, focusing on this happening? The connection, in a sense, is always there. Uh, There's not always information coming along it. It's almost like an open carrier wave. Um, The only times that it happens, aside from the formal channeling, is when I feel like I'm seeking information for myself. Now, it doesn't always mean I'm connecting specifically with Bashar because everyone has the ability to connect to source, to have their own higher, higher minds and higher selves sort of, you know, chip in on whatever it is you need. So I might be connecting to a number of different things. But there have been a few times when I've specifically wanted information from Bashar about very specific topics and subjects, and I'll just get a download. I'll get an immediate telepathic download because the only reason I go into the altered state is when I need to channel him for someone else, when his thoughts need to translate into words for someone else. But if it's just for me, it just happens in the blink of an eye. It's almost like, here, I'll give you a perfect example. Because he is an extraterrestrial being and because he was connected to the UFO I saw, 
one of the things that I was very curious about in the beginning was how what's the principle on which those UFOs work? How do they go from star to star? <clears throat> the information came to me in a split second. It took me three hours to write it out. But that's how the connection happens when I don't need to go into the channeling state. It's just an instant telepathic download, like somebody shoved a CD in my head, and it just just there. Hmm. So the connection is always there. I've had dream communications with him about four times that I can count of, that I can remember, that are distinctly communications with him. Uh, but generally speaking, in my day-to-day life, no. It, it, it only serves the purpose of when I need to really have information downloaded to me for some specific purpose or when I need to go into the altered state because I'm actually doing a public session. Other than that, <clears throat> their tendency is to sort of, you know, let me live my own life because I have to learn things on my own as well. They're not, they're not here to handhold me or to give me everything I need. You know, they want me to also have some sense of discovery and some sense of growth so that I can become, you know, a full person on my own as well. So how has how has your life changed in in 28 years of this? Well, certainly just even physically, you know, having traveled to so many places to do the channeling, I I don't know that I probably would have done that. That's been pretty remarkable meeting different people around the world and uh, you know, communicating with them about all these different uh, concepts that Bashar talks about and metaphysical concepts in general. I think it's really opened my eyes to the understanding of how many different paths people can walk and still arrive at the same understanding. That's been really fascinating. Um, For me personally, it's certainly made a big difference in my life in terms of my own mental and spiritual and emotional balance. Uh, It's really enriched my life, broadened my perspective, given me a much deeper understanding, I believe, of, you know, how... Uh, the universe works, how, how the, what the principles of existence and creation are, are all about, at least in a way that, that I need for my life, um, it's profoundly changed me. Uh, and, and again, in, in no small way, just with the number of people that I get to meet, uh, the number of kindred souls that I now know do exist on the earth, because as I know many, many people have felt, especially in the early days of of the spiritual growth movement and maybe even now if people are just coming into the spiritual growth movement many of them still feel this way as you feel very alone you feel very unusual very different very alienated no pun intended from the rest of uh, society but in meeting more and more people of like mind i know that that these ideas are growing and taking hold more and more every day on our planet and now it's beginning to feel more natural and it's beginning to feel in a phrase, more like home. Hmm. Tell me, 28 years ago, you you start channeling. Uh, how did your family and friends and, and associates at work take all of this? It wasn't something that I shared very often unless I saw uh, an obvious opening or interest in wanting to know something like that. But... Um, I was actually kind of surprised that in general when people did find out, they were actually either simply neutral to it or more open to it than I thought they would be. As far as my immediate family was concerned, my 
my mother and father didn't really understand what I was doing. It was very foreign to them. But the bottom line for them was really, am I helping people? Am I happy? Am I making people happy? And as long as the answer to that was yes, they were fine with it. And in terms of coworkers, there's a variety of range of belief systems there. But again, it's not something that, you know, it's not something I bring up, uh, you know, unless somebody really wants to ask me about it. Um, because it's, you know, it's not something I need to in any way, shape or form, you know, force on anyone or make anyone believe or anything like that. You know, uh, people that, that want to find this stuff, find it. And, um, but you know it's never caused me any kind of any kind of problem or or difficulty or anything like that in in relating to anyone I've worked with or or my family now Wendy uh has another question she asks, is it possible to channel through or from animals like birds, for example again, I think <clears throat> a channeling state is an altered state that allows you to connect to more of creation. And since everything from my perspective is made from consciousness, is conscious in its own way, then the simple answer, the short answer would be yes. Now, how that's done, how that's interpreted, how it's made relevant for humans would depend upon the style in which the channel is picking up on that information. Um but yes, I mean everything is one thing. I mean even our physicists are are really, you know, beginning to understand that everything is one thing. And since everything is one thing, it means that every different thing is really just a different aspect of the same thing. So connecting to an animal, connecting to a tree, connecting to a rock in a sense is just one energy pattern relating to another energy pattern, but both energy patterns are made out of the same stuff. So in a sense, you're just relating to a reflection of yourself from a different perspective, and vice versa. So, sure. Now, you mentioned earlier about parallel realities, and I want to just talk a little bit about that and how parallel realities um, operate and what the mechanism is of parallel realities and how um, we can shift to, to and from these parallel realities. Bashar has been speaking quite a lot about parallel realities, especially lately, because he understands that it's it's a very important perspective to have on the nature of the structure of existence in our growing uh, consciousness and how we relate to reality. And from Bashar's perspective, it's not something we have to learn to do. It's something we're already doing and don't realize we're doing. And so it's really about learning or realizing that we're already shifting all the time and being more conscious about what kind of parallel reality we want to shift to rather than simply randomly shifting to parallel realities based on unconscious definitions and beliefs. From Bashar's perspective, you shift from parallel to reality to parallel reality billions of times a second. It's an actual automatic thing that happens. And in fact, from his perspective, he's explained the very act of moving, the very concept of motion is actually the illusion created by shifting from one reality to another billions of times a second. He's explained it like a strip of film. 
you have individual frames on a strip of film. Each individual frame can be considered a frozen, static, parallel reality. You move the strip of film through a projector and create the illusion of motion. You create the illusion of motion by going through 24 frames a second. But he's saying physical reality is actually structured that way. Since everything exists all at once, everything has to exist now. All the different realities exist now. In a sense, they're all overlapped, like different individual static frames on a film strip. The way you create the illusion of motion is by your consciousness shifting from parallel reality to parallel reality, each one being slightly different than the one before it, and you actually create that sense that you're actually moving in physical space and time, which is an illusion from his perspective. So he's saying, as an actual basic mechanism of existing in physical reality or having a physical reality experience, you automatically are shifting from parallel reality to parallel reality, immediately, instantaneously, billions of times a second. His perspective is, what we need to learn is the idea that we shift to the reality we define, either consciously or unconsciously, as being the most likely one to shift to, that we believe the strongest in. So the more difference we create in our definition of a reality we can shift to, the different, the more different the next reality will be. And by creating a bigger difference in the next parallel reality we shift to, we'll get to see more clearly. It'll become more obvious that we're shifting all the time based on the degree of difference between the reality we were in a moment ago and the next one we shift to. Does that make sense? Yes. It does, and um, now uh, Bashar talks a lot about belief systems and how belief yeah. systems are actually um, the, one of the most important things in, for us to um, shift and be conscious of in order to shift into the parallel reality that we find yeah. most joyous and exciting. From so, perspective, um, definitions are the most fundamental thing because everything mm-hmm. we experience, according to Bashar, in physical reality is based on what we believe is possible, what we define as true, as most likely, as most probable. So if we understand what our definitions are, what the definitions are we may unconsciously be giving to life, and we change those definitions, we will change the experience of our physical life because physical reality, from his perspective, is nothing but a reflection of what we most strongly define or believe to be true. Okay. The the, the thing that I want to really touch upon is the idea of what if somebody uh, decides to believe that they can, for example, shapeshift into a pink elephant. Um, I I feel like we still have some sort of uh, limitation because we're still living in a uh, collective consciousness in a sense, even though we do each operate in our own uh, reality. So can you just explain yeah. uh, that concept a little bit? Yeah, well, there are degrees of difference, I think, to the level, like you're talking about, of what we have agreed is possible or relevant in this reality. So in other words, yes, there are individual agreements, but within the within the collective, we have also agreed to certain, let's say, rules or boundaries or limits that we've placed upon ourselves in order to have 
a certain kind of a collective experience. And even though certain individual changes can be made within that bubble, they will only go so far based on the overall agreement we've agreed to abide by. For example, most people, and I'm sure there are exceptions, but most people have agreed that in this reality we will have gravity and we will stick to the planet. Now, it's possible someone can supersede that if it's relevant to their life, if it's relevant to what it is they need to demonstrate to others, that might be possible, and then you get things like levitation. But most people probably don't need to learn to levitate in this reality, so most people probably won't. But that doesn't mean they cannot make sweeping changes in their lives by changing their belief systems as long as the sweeping changes are within the bubble of relevancy or probability of the overall agreement. Thank you. Okay. So, um, according to Bashar, what, what then, I mean, when we get just right down to what is the meaning of of our existence here. One of the things that kind of surprised me when it first came out from Bashar was a particular sentence. Now, he was very quick to explain what he meant by this because he didn't want people to take it in a negative way. But basically what he's saying is life is fundamentally meaningless. And what he means by that is it doesn't have any built-in meaning. We're the ones that are designed, in a sense, to give it meaning. So the meaning of life, from his perspective, is to give it the meaning we prefer to give it, the meaning that is relevant for who we really are. And in giving it the meaning that is reflective of who we are, we then create the life experience that is reflective of who we are and true to ourselves. So we are, in a sense, experiencing physical life as a method of understanding creation from one perspective. And because it is simply a set of props without built-in meaning, the way we create our experiences and the way we learn and the way we grow is by implanting meaning into these neutral props and getting the effect that that meaning generates. So if we are experiencing what most people might call a negative experience, generally it's probably because we are either consciously or unconsciously putting negative meaning into the circumstances and situations in our lives. Whereas, if we are willing to give them the same circumstances positive meaning, we will then generally get positive effects, no matter what those circumstances look like. So the meaning of life, in a sense, is to learn that we are the ones that give life meaning and to live the lives we prefer to have, to learn and to grow in that way by learning who we are, by being our truest selves, and by allowing our lives to express and reflect that back to us. Very good. Now, here we are, 2011, heading into 2012. Um, so much uh, variety of information out there about what this time means. Uh, what, what is Bashar sharing? Well, he's talked about several things. Um, on a very straightforward basis, let's say, it's 
from his perspective, a threshold. It doesn't mean we're not already shifting, we're not already changing, but that date obviously has been given great weight by the collective consciousness of our planet. So he perceives that as a crossing of a threshold, a tipping of the scales, so to speak. A couple of things he has said about December 21, 2012. It's representative, from his perspective, of when the world will shift to being its collective energy from being overall negative to finally slightly being more positive than negative, the majority of the energy. And that means, from his perspective, it can start to snowball more and more and accelerate more and more in a positive direction. So we'll finally have tipped the scale from a majority of negative energy to a majority of positive energy, and that can help us accelerate. The other thing that it indicates to him is that it's the end of what he has called the quarantine of the Earth from their perspective, from their civilization, and from other civilizations. So it doesn't mean that ships will be landing the next day all over the planet, but what it means is they've had a hands-off policy, what some people in science fiction refer to as kind of a prime directive of non-interference directive, so that they do not interfere with our natural growth. Well, according to him, after that date in 2012, <clears throat> that quarantine, that non-interference directive from their end will be at an end. And again, it doesn't mean that they can just show up everywhere the next day. What it does mean, as he's explained it, is that contact with other civilizations, open contact, will now no longer be held back by their laws. It will completely be determined by our desire for it to happen. And as soon as we have enough of a willingness, enough of a desire, and enough readiness for open contact to occur, nothing on their end after that date will hold that contact from happening. So he's talked about those two aspects. A third aspect he's talked about, which I think is a very important aspect energetically, is he's sort of likened that date to a train station with many different tracks in it. <clears throat> Again, kind of making a parallel reality reference. And he said that date is like, the trains are leaving the station now. But after that date, the tracks will no longer be as parallel, as close to each other as they have been. The tracks will start to diverge into different kinds of energies, different kinds of realities. So whatever train that you choose to be on, whatever belief systems you choose to buy into, whatever world you believe is possible that reality will become more and more and more solidly reinforced after that date until such time as the tracks and the energies and the frequencies are so divergent many years down the road, you may not ever be able to get from one to the other after that point. Right now, he's saying the tracks are still close enough together so that you can hop from train to train, still make up your mind what reality you want, what energy you want to live. But after that date, the tracks start moving farther and farther and farther apart. So he's basically saying, make sure you're on the train you want to be on, because ultimately you may not be able to get to any other train if the, once the tracks are so far apart that there's no connection between them anymore. So he's seeing that date as a splitting prism, where all the different energies, the different realities, the different ideas, the different belief systems that exist that we now share in one melting pot on our planet 
will start to differentiate to the point where ultimately each of those represents a different parallel reality that ultimately will experience only the vibration of that reality. Mm. Now, when we um, experience this split, um, the people that are close to us, if they're not vibrating at our frequency, um, how will we experience uh, their reality um, will will they suddenly disappear, or uh, what kind of things will will we be? Uh, I seeing? think it can. I think it can happen in a number of different ways, just depending on what it is that's relevant for us to experience. I've already experienced in my life certain things where, you know, um, I'll I'll be able to be in contact with certain people one day, and like literally within another week, I'll have no idea where they are and no way to get in touch with them. And I can see in retrospect that a lot of that has to do with the fact that we operated on very different wavelengths, very different frequencies, and that we're simply, in a sense, vibrationally no longer compatible. And so it almost becomes impossible to find them, ultimately. And ultimately, Bashar said, in in a very real way, when that split becomes great enough, when it becomes wide enough, when the vibrational frequencies become different enough, you actually are in two different realities. You actually become invisible to each other. You actually are not in the same earth anymore, and you'll never find each other that way. So, yes, uh, I, it could happen a number of different ways. It could be just a slow weaning process for some. For others, it might just be an instantaneous, like, well, they were here yesterday, and now I have no idea where they are and no way to get a hold of them, and I've never seen them since. So it just depends, I suppose, on what manner people need to experience that particular kind of split in. Now, um, I hear this, you know, all over the Internet and all over the place that when we shift into this higher density, uh, this higher dimension, that um, many different abilities uh, will be uh, coming back to us, such as uh, bilocation, teleportation, uh, psychokinesis, telepathy, and so on and so forth. And so... um, what does Bashar feel about this? And if this is true, um, will we be able to, uh, for example, uh, be in more than one place at the same time uh, with in a different reality that um, we're not vibrating at? Well, again, it, I think it's all resonance. It all has to do with vibration and frequency, and you really can't experience what you're not the vibration of. So <clears throat> when you say be in more one, than one reality at the same time, in a sense, our greater selves already are in every reality we can imagine. But when you talk about the more limited us, you know, the, the physical personality, in a sense, by definition, can really only experience one reality at a time. But you can experience a reality that is certainly more reflective of a harmonious alignment with your higher self that does function in multiple realities simultaneously. So you can receive the benefit, the effects of that idea by being more harmoniously aligned with the frequency of that higher self. Now, many people think that that's something that is yet to happen, but in fact, from Bashar's perspective, and actually if we really just sort of take a look around, and in fact, the reason we're even able to have this kind of conversation (laughs) over the radio is that these things are already happening. 
there are already people experiencing shifts in their reality, slippages in space-time, more malleability, more plasticity in physical time and space. There are already people that are recognizing that they're becoming more empathic, more psychic, if you will, more intuitive, more creative, uh, more expanded awareness, if you will. These things have been going on for quite some time. It's not something that has yet to occur, but it is something that can accelerate. And I think that was one of the things I was talking about with that demarcation of 2012 is Bashar saying, we've been doing this for a while, and at that point we'll finally have crossed a threshold where the acceleration can become much more evident. Um, but these are things that have been going on. Our energy levels today are on a much higher plane than they were uh, hundreds of years ago. In fact, one of the things I found very interesting was Bashar said, if you were to bring a person through time from 300 years ago and they were to stand next to us today, if they were to come to our time, we would actually appear to be glowing to them because our energy frequency is so much higher than theirs was 300 years ago. But we don't notice it because we're used to it. So we're already accelerating quite a bit. It's just that we're used to it and don't really notice all the differences. <laughs> but if we really look around, we can see there are children that are exhibiting phenomenal capabilities nowadays that were unheard of before. There are more and more people exploring the whole idea of expansion of consciousness, more and more people exploring the idea of other consciousnesses out in the universe. Uh, these things are themselves symptomatic and symbolic of how far we are already accelerating and are certainly an indicator of how much farther we can go. Um, I'm just so fascinated by all of this. I'm thrilled that you're uh, that you're with us uh, this evening, oh, well, Daryl. Too. <laughs> uh, another question that that comes right out of uh, my experience this weekend and being with uh, so many people out at Lightning in a Bottle, and um, also just what I'm seeing. Um, taking place uh, even more so with uh within the collective is the use of uh medicines or tools uh specifically um you know the plant teachers psychedelics um to expand consciousness what is what's bashar's take on on this that's taking place more now than it seems like ever before um well, Bashar certainly understands a lot about our psychology with regard to things that we use as certain kinds of teachers and tools. He also does understand the whole concept that we do experience here sometimes in a negative way uh, called addiction. But at the same time, he recognizes that anything that the earth provides naturally is, in a sense, designed to be a teaching tool. What he adds to that is the understanding that once the tool has taught us, we don't actually need it anymore. Because from his perspective, all tools, all techniques, all rituals are simply what he calls permission slips. They are a trigger that is somehow aligned with our belief system, which is why we were attracted to it. And by using that particular teacher or trigger or permission slip, it gives us, it allows us to give ourselves permission to be more of who we are. Now, the thing itself, in a sense, is not really the thing doing it. We're doing it. But those things are representative 
of, they're representative of vibrational signals that trigger within us because of our belief systems a willingness to let go of the limitations we've imposed upon ourselves to expand our consciousness in ways that we prefer to. But once we've done that, maybe just you know once or twice, once we get the hang of it, he's saying, if you then keep using the tool, you're actually missing the point. Because the point of the tool is to teach you that you can actually achieve those states on your own because that's actually what you're doing anyway. And so once you get that, then you actually no longer really need the tool. You can achieve those states consciously just by choice because you realize you're the one giving yourself permission to do so anyway. And you're just using the permission slip designed by nature to sort of give you a hint, give you a reflective, shall we say, uh, push, in, you know, a gentle push in that direction to understand that all of these abilities, all of these sensations, all of these experiences are actually all generated from within your consciousness. Mm-hmm. Very good. We did have another question uh, on the chat line um, asking if what you would suggest uh, for someone that's looking to develop their own skills at channeling. Well, um, certainly if they're going to vocal channel in the way that I and several other people do, that usually that usually contains an agreement that has been made or can be made at this point, and that means that the synchronicity in your life will usually attract you to what you need in order to learn how to go farther with it. Um, but in terms of just in general, as I initially said, channeling is a natural altered state that is primarily associated with doing what you absolutely love to do. People know that when they get involved and completely absorbed <clears throat> in doing things that they love, they have no concept of the passage of time. And in fact, according to Bashar, they're actually not creating the passage of time in those moments, why time seems to fly. And therefore, let's say, if you are doing something that you're completely absorbed in and it feels like half an hour has gone by or 15 minutes has gone by, but then you sort of reconnect to the world, you sort of come out of that and you realize it's been three hours, five hours, Bashar is actually saying that in what you experienced as 15 minutes, that's all you've actually aged for you is 15 minutes. But then you reconnect mm -hmm. to the time clock of the world and reconnect to them three hours later, but you've only actually aged 15 minutes. So the idea, the core issue of channeling is to be totally present in the moment, in the now, and the easiest way I know of to do that, according to what Bashar said, is you must act on your highest joy every moment that you can. Follow your bliss. Act on your highest joy. Because he's saying what we call excitement, what we call joy, that sensation, that physical sensation, is actually the body's physical translation of the vibration of energy that represents our most natural self. And when you're in harmonious alignment with that vibration, you are the most in the moment you can possibly be. And when you're most in the moment, in the present, and since everything exists in the present, you can connect at that point from that state to almost anything you need to connect to. So that, to me, is the key issue. Act on your highest excitement every moment that you can, and the more you do that, the more likely it is 
you will find yourself naturally being in a channeling state more and more and more. Oh, that's great. I, as as you were saying that, um, I so relate to it, and I know Ilya does also. We have we've traveled all over, um, and this leads to my next question: doing uh, these galactivation experiences, which is a uh-huh. journey into universal love, a, a greater, more expansive experience of universal love, and um, it's. It's been amazing for us to facilitate um, this experience for others, and and what it's what it's done for us, and 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 how it it has changed us. And there's been many sessions where we've come out of it and literally felt like, you know, I mean, just everything shifted um, exactly. in those moments. Exactly, and it did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah. It's that. It's that. Doing what you love, being in the moment with it, being fully immersed in it, and you really do become a different person. And when you're a different person, you actually shift to a different reality that's reflective of the person you are. So, absolutely, that's that's the way it is. Beautiful. And now, and from Bashar's from Bashar's perspective, there's nothing mysterious or magical about that. This is just physics from his perspective. <laughs> So share with us his perspective of love. You know, what does Bashar say about love? Unconditional love, what we call unconditional love from his perspective, is the primary frequency of creation itself. So the more you can align with unconditional love, the more you are in harmonic resonance with creation itself. That's all it is. It is the frequency of creation itself, the total uh, inexhaustible support that creation is that allows us to be here, to experience what we're experiencing, that supports us in anything we choose to do, positive or negative, totally unconditionally, and allows us to have and generate and create the experiences we believe we need. It's, it's that support system that infinite support system that is the vibration of that support system and we translate that in our language as the term unconditional love hmm. now people um that are uh you know walking around day to day um what what can uh, bashar say about um how to get to this state of unconditional love um you know, what are some of the precursors um to actually get to that state of being? Well, again, I think it's what we sort of already touched on, and that is loving yourself enough to be willing to be your true self and and showing that and demonstrating that and being an example of that by actually being willing to act on the things that contain the highest amount of joy, love, creativity, and excitement. And by doing that, uh, you are then obviously reinforcing the the truth of the vibration you prefer to be. You're acting as an example to others that they can also choose that too if they prefer to. Uh, but at the same time, you allow everyone to choose what it is they believe they're most capable of choosing. It's that unconditionality that really sort of sets it apart from everything else. Because really when it comes right down to it, we are eternal, infinite, 
beings. Uh, you know, in a sense, there's really no rush. There's no hurry. There's nowhere else we're going. We're always going to be here and now. And the ability to sort of live in the moment in what I guess would be called a state of grace, uh, totally in harmony with that, that concept that ultimately everyone is, a spirit is a part of creation. There's nothing outside of creation. Um, to me, that that state is uh, what will basically allow people to discover themselves, their true selves, allow them to live their lives more fully, more joyfully, more creatively, more lovingly. But I think it, it starts with the willingness to, to love yourself enough to be the self you really inside, deep inside, know that you are. And it, it, takes, it takes the conviction and the commitment of taking an action that's representative of that knowledge uh, in order to really bring it home, in order to, to bring it full circle, in, in order to really ground it in physical reality experience and, uh, and get that, in a sense, to work for you. Mm. Now, um, I also want to just touch upon the, the idea of uh, gurus and guides and spiritual teachers. And mm -hmm. um, uh, what does Bashar feel about um, all these things? And uh, Well, I know again, that, that, yeah, it, he lumps it all. He lumps it all into the permission slip idea. In other words, it's all good if it's something you believe you need to get you where you're going. By all means, use it including himself. He says, you know, he, he's, in this, he's in this job to put himself out of a job. He's basically attempting to teach everyone that they're their own best teacher and that whatever it is they decide works for them is what works for them. They have their own imaginations. They have their own higher selves. They form a relationship with it, and they can guide themselves <clears throat> in the best possible way they can. It doesn't mean we don't have guides. It doesn't mean we don't need teachers from time to time. But Again, even when we have a teacher, even if it's Bashar, the idea to always remember from his perspective is it's just a permission slip. One of the things that Bashar has, has now said quite a few times in the last few years is that even when people are speaking with him, he's just pre presenting, in a sense, and providing a mask so they can actually be speaking to their own higher mind, so that when they're speaking to him, they're actually speaking to their own higher selves, but they're doing it through the permission slip of his mask. So the idea really is that it's all permission slips, whatever you're attracted to that you feel works for you, then that's the permission slip you need at that moment, and that's what works for you. Tomorrow you may change your mind about what works for you and attract something different. And in that moment, that's the right thing for you because they're all basically the same function. They're all basically permission slips just to get you into the habit of giving yourself permission to be who you are. Now, when you're channeling Bashar, um, is he um, is he there with you, or is he uh, doing other things at the same time? Like, what does he do uh, when, um, when you're channeling? He can do other things at the same time. Time for him is not what it is for us. Um, although more often than not, he is at uh, a distant location. Now, he's actually uh, he's actually located himself. Um, in his spaceship over Sedona for quite some time now. Um, he's helping to balance energy in the vortex in the area there. But he can be in his own dimension, in his own, his own planet. He can be anywhere. This connection is basically, because it has to do with vibrational connection, it has to do with synchronization of frequency, it, it sort of works on the same principle 
and because we're part of the same soul, it sort of works on the same principle that quantum physicists talk about when they talk about particles being entangled or you know non-local uh, entanglement, where it doesn't matter where you are. Space, time, distance doesn't matter. The vibrations are what link you together. So, um, And because his reality operates on a different frequency, he may not even be having the conversation with someone at the same time that we're actually having the channeling. He may have already had this conversation. He may have yet to have the conversation. But he has it when in his time it fits, and he knows that the conversation will simply go to whatever time frame in our reality it needs to go to. So it's really they are so flexible. Their consciousness in their reality has become so flexible that their consciousness can actually move through and shift through the idea of different parallel realities, different time frames, and they just know that they'll connect to whatever time frame they need to, no matter when or where it is they're actually sending the information from. Hmm. Now, do you believe that sometime uh, you as Daryl will come face-to-face with Bashar? That would be nice. I think that that's a high probability, but I can't say it's an absolute. Um, I don't know yet whether that will actually serve the purpose in my life of fulfilling whatever agreement I agreed to. Um, uh, That is uh, certainly something I think would be very exciting, and I think there's a good probability. And I have had dream encounters with him that were literally like just standing in front of him, talking to him. So, yes, I think it's a high probability, but I can't say I know for certain that it will happen. Hmm. Love it. Um, tell us a little bit, I mean, you're so you're you're actively um I mean, certainly you're not doing as much channeling as you did in the beginning. Is that correct? Correct. Um, my schedule now, uh, for a variety of reasons, including working on, um, on my films, is different now, certainly, than it used to be. We do still do a number of public events, both in L.A. and in some of the cities around L.A. and in, in the country. Um, anyone that wants to know uh, what those public events are, when they're taking place, where they're taking place, can certainly go to our website at www.bashar.org, B-A-S-H-A-R.org. Anything that we're doing will be listed there in whatever city we're going to be in. We have a session coming up in L.A. in June on the 17th, 18th, and 19th. Uh, we have some other sessions coming up, I believe, in August in other cities around the country. But for the most part, I'm staying relatively close to home. I do a few private sessions now and then when my schedule permits and a few public sessions when that permits. Uh, but, yes, it, when I when I first started, I did far more than I'm doing now just because my schedule has changed so drastically. Now, I just want to you know give a plug to your website. It's a treasure trove of of information and content. Um, and I've just been really impressed with with everything that's available, and there's downloads and uh, links to videos, and people can get CDs and DVDs and and everything. So I I highly recommend to anyone that's um, you know been been touched by the information that's been presented here to uh, spend some time on your site and um, you know see see what calls out to them. 
Yeah, um, April Rochelle, who runs Bashar Communications and is responsible along with uh, some wonderful volunteers, has put together a, a wonderful website to disseminate Bashar's information. They've been doing an incredible and fantastic job for quite a while putting that together, and it's getting better and better every day. So, yes, by all means, please please check the website out for more information. Excellent. Now, uh, I do have a question just back to belief systems, and it's something that uh, in our uh, Dr. Dream um, workshops and experiences uh, we speak of quite a bit. What is, uh, you know, from Bashar's perspective, the 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 process to really shift a belief system. I mean, in our process as um, evolving humans, we come into aspects of ourself, a realization of aspects of ourself that we would like to shift, knowing sure. that that's our next step. And and so, I'd like you to just touch on that a little bit. Sure. Uh, one of the ideas that Bashar has discussed is understanding what the personality is actually composed of. And from his perspective, it's like a prism. It's like a three-sided prism that breaks down the white light of our unbroken consciousness into the spectrum of the experience of our physical reality. And what that prism is made of is basically three things, beliefs and definitions, emotions, and thought patterns and behaviors. So the idea is that the first thing that the white light comes through, the first side that it comes through in a sense, is the side that is represented by beliefs and definitions. That's the fundamental side. From that point, whatever we believe in, whatever we define to be true, thus then generates any emotions that we experience and any thought patterns and behaviors that we express. So basically, Bashar is saying, the way you get at the belief systems, the way you find out what the definitions are, if they're unconscious within you, is to look at what your thoughts, look at what your behaviors, look at what your emotions actually are. And if you can understand what it is you are feeling and thinking and how you're behaving, you can trace that back to what kind of a belief or what kind of a definition must exist in order to be responsible for those kinds of emotions and thoughts and behaviors. So he has a very simple suggestion when we're <clears throat> experiencing a certain kind of, of idea or something or situation in reality, or we're feeling a certain way. He basically says, take a moment and stop and ask yourself the question, what would I have to believe is true about my relationship to the situation in order for me to feel this way or think this way or behave this way. Because as soon as you ask that question, and if you're willing to hear the answer, you will generally, if you're just quiet, receive some kind of information or understanding or something in your life will synchronistically reveal it to you where it will show you what kind of a belief would have to be in place in your consciousness in order for these emotional and thought pattern and behavior pattern things to be going on. So that, in his mind, is the first step, is you ask yourself that question. What would I have to believe is true in order, of, you know, with my relationship to this situation, in order to feel or think or behave in the way that I am? And if you sit quietly and pay attention, he says you will usually discover what that definition is. Now, the thing that's important 
from his perspective in this process is the identification itself of that definition is of paramount importance because the things that we often do that we don't you know, necessarily prefer that we do, are usually the result of belief systems that are unconscious. <clears throat> so the issue is to bring that belief system into conscious recognition, because once you bring it into conscious recognition, you actually then have some control over it. As Bashar often says, you can't change what you don't own. So you have to know what it is to own it and acknowledge that it's there, and once it's acknowledged and once it's brought into light, then it's something that can be changed. And actually the change can happen very simply as well. Because one of the things that Bashar has also said is, and the reason identification of the definition is so important, is he says, once you identify a belief that is out of alignment with your true self, it will automatically appear nonsensical and illogical. In other words, it will automatically appear that it doesn't belong to the true you. And once you see that it makes no sense to the true you you prefer to be, you will automatically let it go because it doesn't belong to you. It might be something you picked up from your parents, from society, from your friends, but you've been carrying this thing unconsciously with you, never realizing that this belief came from and belongs to someone else. So as Bashar has sort of recently put it, don't be a belief thief. You don't steal someone else's beliefs. Drop those beliefs that don't belong to you. Don't steal them. Let them go. And it takes identifying the belief in order to recognize that it doesn't belong to you, that it would be nonsensical for you to continue to believe in that thing. And once you let it go and replace it with a belief that you prefer, then that is, in a sense, what will stick. But the important thing to understand is that because this is a world of space and time, because we have made agreements here that there is such a thing as a time lag, that you may experience a little bit of a time lag between changing the belief and seeing a reflection in the outer world. Because he said that we usually give ourselves one final test to prove to ourselves that we've actually changed our belief. And that is how you respond to something in the outer reality, even if it looks the same as it did before. Because he's saying the true measure, the true measure of change is not that the outer reality changes. The true measure of change is if you respond differently than you did before, even if the outer reality stays the same. Once you respond differently, then the outer reality knows you're serious about the change, and then it can reflect the change back to you. But he said very often there will always be that little testing time lag because if you really just still react the same way you did before to the same situation, then all you're saying to reality is, I haven't really changed. Because it's all about the state of being. It's not about the circumstance. Circumstances in physical reality are just a reflective illusion. It's the state of being within us that's actually the determining factor of what we experience in life. So if we react the same old way, then life says, well, you haven't really changed. But if we respond differently, even if the outer world looks the same, that means we're giving it a different meaning, we're giving it a positive meaning, and once we've done that, then the outer reality can reflect it. Very good. Wonderful, actually. I've been um, 
having uh, experiences with uh, people um, that has to do with um, this perspective of uh, entities being able to have this um, influence on us or, you know, even um, taking us over at times. And, and uh, you know, I hear about people extracting ent entities from others and things like this. What's uh, And, and it, none of this resonates with uh, my empowered way of being in my right. life, but it's right. shown up so big for me, so um, I can't right. help but ask about it. <laughs> well, again, it, it comes down, like you said, to resonance. Uh, I don't think anything, anything has any ability to influence us in any way, shape, or form if we don't, with our belief systems, agree to be influenced. So the idea really is if someone has a belief system within them that makes them operate on a certain frequency domain level, then that's what they're going to identify with, that's what they're going to attract, that's what they're going to be in league with is whatever is representative of that frequency level. And they're going to express that, in a sense, <clears throat> like a form of channeling through themselves. But as soon as they change their frequency, if they decided in the very next second that this is simply something they didn't prefer, that it wasn't true to who they really prefer to be, and they understood that as soon as they changed their frequency, then anything of a different vibration would suddenly not be able to even find them, they would understand that they've always been in control. Nothing has ever actually taken them over. It's just that they've been in agreement with what that frequency represents and expressing it out of their own energy. Because that's even what I'm doing with Bashar. It's not like he takes me over. I have just agreed to go into a state that harmonizes with his so that even though it seems like he's in the room and his personality is in full force, it's just my energy being molded, taking the shape of his personality in order to translate what it is that he's, in a sense, sending. But I have to do that by agreement, and I think that works the same on every single level. No one is ever actually out of control, but you can have belief systems that, in a sense, reinforce the idea that you're out of control and that something else is controlling you. And those belief systems may try to reinforce themselves that that's true and you can't get out of it, but that's simply what belief systems do. Once you understand that that's what belief systems do is they try to reinforce themselves, then the negative ones can be broken because you can understand that all it's doing is just trying to perpetuate itself because that's what belief systems do. But once you know that, you can say, well, I don't prefer to be in that frequency anymore. And once you actually truly make that change – then nothing of a different frequency has any ability to touch you. You become completely invisible to it. Ah, I just loved hearing this. I knew this broadcast was going to be spectacular this evening. I had no idea how deeply it was going to touch me. Thank you well, for that. Thank you. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. That's kind of you. Ilya, any uh we're we're headed into the uh the, the tail end of our broadcast. Do you have anything on uh on your end? Uh, well, uh, I just want to um, add my uh, appreciation and gratitude and also um, ask you, Daryl, um, what your personal ventures are aside from Bashar and uh, what kind of projects you're working on and uh, things of that nature. 
Well, the film that I'm finishing up right now is a metaphysically oriented film. It's it's called Dearly Departed, and it is a fictional documentary, as if we could take a camera into the spirit world and interview spirits and get their take on life after death. So it is handled like a series of documentary-style interviews with people who have already passed on and give us their perspective and their wisdom of what happens after you die. People can, if they wish, go and see stills and a trailer from the movie by going to my production company website, which is www.ziafilms.com. That's a Z as in zebra, I-A-F-I-L-M-S, ziafilms.com. And if you go onto the in-production page, you'll see the trailer there for Dearly Departed. If you go on the in-development page, you'll see many of the other projects that my production company is also developing, and that's really what's keeping me busy these days. Thank you. Wonderful. And, uh, yeah, um, Dr. Dream, anything on your end? Um, boy, I'm... I'm going to be out of town when you're in Los Angeles next, but I got to tell you, I will uh, definitely be following uh, your um, events and look forward uh, to the opportunity to uh, be in your presence and Bashar's presence uh, at at another time. Uh, so here we are near the close of our of our broadcast, uh, but we do have. Um, three or four minutes left. Uh, if Bashar was with us right now, what, what do you think would be shared just based on the energy and where we've, we've taken our conversation tonight? Well, first of all, let me say that I would like to thank both of you for providing this opportunity and being that it's the result of your joy to do so. I, I appreciate it and thank you very much for allowing this information to be shared this way. So thank you both, first of all. Mm. You're welcome. Um, and I think in, a, some, in some senses, I think that's probably similar to something that Bashar would say, in the sense that he would honor you for living your dreams and would encourage others to understand very clearly that they can live their dreams. I just heard a marvelous quote for the first time today that actually comes from Jonas Salk. And the quote is, I've had dreams and I've had nightmares but I overcame my nightmares by living my dreams. And I think that really actually sums up exactly what Bashar's philosophy is all about, is we can really turn our lives and this world into a paradise if we just each understand that we are already in that world. We're already of that, of that nature, that that is our birthright, that that vibration, that frequency of creativity and love is really what we're all about. It is the natural frequency of existence. And he would encourage people to learn to align with that by being their truest self, by acting on their highest joy. It really will support them. It really will take them to places they can't possibly imagine. Uh, if somebody had told me I would wind up doing this 28 years ago, I would have thought they were crazy. But by following the joy that I felt in being in that state, and letting this information come through, it's taking me to places I couldn't possibly have guessed I'd wind up in my life. And it has always in some way, shape, or form supported me. And uh, I think the bottom line is for people to understand that we don't have to make life work. We just have to allow it to because it already does. 
Beautiful. Thank you so much uh, for being here with us, for, for taking the time, and, and in a grander sense, um, thank you for the example that you are of of being in that passion and and in the present moment. Um, it's it's so valuable. Uh, and as I say, I um, know so many people who have been so deeply touched by what you do. Well, and I thank you both uh, also for living your passion and everyone out there who's willing to do the same because that's what makes all the difference in the world. So thank you to everybody. Wonderful. This is Dr. Dream. Uh, we are next in, where are we next? We are next at the Harmony Festival uh, which is not uh, this weekend, but it is uh, the 10th, 11th, 12th of June. Um, I'll actually be doing uh, some speaking and a Galactivation experience there and um, our uh, Paint Your Vision of the New Earth uh, experience. So we're um, we're all over the, the Harmony Festival. We have decided to postpone um, the coast-to-coast -to -coast tour, 90 days, 60 cities um, this summer, and uh, work on some projects here in Southern California. So uh, definitely available um, for all sorts of events um, in California. And uh, personally, part of my passion and bliss this summer is going to be spending uh, some dedicated time with uh, my 10-year-old daughter, Maya, and uh, our good friends and, and family here. But uh, look forward to uh, connecting with all of you. We'll be back next week with uh, Dream Reality New Earth Radio. And tomorrow, of course, we will have our Dream Reality uh, New Earth video broadcast that we do every, uh, every Wednesday. And you can find details on this at uh, drdream.com, drdream.com. Thank you, Ilya, for um, being here and being you. And um, I know that's um, just sending my love out to, to everyone uh, for showing up, not just uh, here on this broadcast, but just for showing up for the collective. Thank you so much, and good night. Thank you all. Good night.